chapter eight of the suffragette the history of the woman's militant suffrage movement by e sylvia pankhurst this librivox recording is in the public domain eight february and march nineteen hundred seven the first woman's parliament in the caxton hall and the sending out of the mounted police to drive away the woman's deputation mr dickinson's bill and the second woman's parliament and now again the thoughts of all the women who wanted votes were turning towards the opening of parliament the old-fashioned suffragists had held their demonstration during the recess but that of the suffragettes was still to come and it had been announced that on february thirteenth nineteen hundred seven a parliament of women would sit in the caxton hall to consider the provision of the king's speech to be read in the nation's parliament on the previous day it was but a year since annie kenny had set off to rouse london and since mrs pankhurst had feared that we should neither fill the caxton hall nor induce a body of women to march for the sake of a vote through the london streets but the tickets were now sold off so rapidly that the exeter hall in the strand was also requisitioned and we could now firmly rely on hundreds of women who were ready and eager not merely to walk in procession but if need be to risk imprisonment for the cause parliament met on tuesday the twelfth and we soon learnt that the king's speech had made no mention of votes for women therefore when the women's parliament met at three o'clock next day it did so ready for decisive action mrs pankhurst was in the chair and throughout the proceedings there were manifestations of an enthusiasm such as the women of our time had before then never learnt to show a resolution expressive of indignation that votes for women had been omitted from the king's speech and calling upon the house of commons to insist that precedence should be given to such a measure was moved in stirring words and carried with every demonstration of fervent eagerness a motion that the resolution should be taken to the prime minister by deputation from the meeting was greeted with cheering and waving of handkerchiefs then the watchword rise up women was sounded and the answer came in a great unanimous shout now while hundreds of our women volunteers ready for parliament or prison sprang to their feet mrs despard was chosen to lead the deputation and as each woman marched out of the caxton hall a copy of the resolution for the prime minister was put into her hand we formed up in orderly procession and amid the cheers of the thousands of men and women who had gathered in sympathy and with the police walking in front of us we marched into victoria street and on towards the house of commons it was cold but a shimmering dainty day the sky a delicate rain-washed blue and the sunshine gleaming on the fine gilded points on the roof of the tall clock-tower we stepped out smartly and all seemed to be going well but when those who were in front reached the green in front of the abbey a body of police barred their way and an inspector called to them to turn back and ordered his men to break up the procession the police strode through and through our ranks but the women at once united again and pressed bravely on a little further we went thus when suddenly a body of mounted police came riding up in an instant mrs despard and several others in the front rank were arrested and the troopers were urging their horses into the midst of the women behind scattering them right and left still we strove to reach our destination and returned again and again those of us who rushed from the roadway on to the pavement were pressed by the horses closer and closer against the walls and railings until at last we retreated or were forced away by the constables on foot those of us who took refuge in doorways were dragged roughly down the steps and hurled back in front of the horses when even this failed to banish us the foot constables rushed at us and catching us fiercely by the shoulders turned us round again and then seizing us by the back of the neck and thumping us cruelly between the shoulders forced us at a running pace along the streets until we were far from the house of commons 
they had been told to drive us away and to make as few arrests as possible still we returned again until at last sixty-five women and two men all of them bruised and dishevelled had been taken to the police station and those who had not been arrested were almost fainting from fatigue then after ten o'clock the police succeeded in clearing the approaches to the house of commons and the mounted men were left galloping about in the empty square till midnight when the house rose in spite of the fierce battle to keep them out fifteen of the suffragettes succeeded by strategy in making their way into the strangers lobby of the house of commons and at about six o'clock attempted to hold a meeting there the police of course rushed to put them out and in the confusion that ensued one of the women succeeded in getting past the barriers and making her way down the passage leading to the beautiful white inner lobby which opens into the sacred chamber of debate she had just reached the first set of swing doors when a member of parliament dashed up and slammed them against her with such force that she was thrown to the ground and carried out in a fainting condition members of parliament could scarcely fail to have been impressed by the extraordinary scenes which had taken place and when the adjournment of the house was moved that night a unionist member mr claude hay asked the home secretary whether it had been necessary to inconvenience its members by surrounding parliament with a body of police both upon horse and foot as great as though it had been a fortress instead of a deliberative assembly it appeared to him he said that mr gladstone was afraid of the women but they were entitled to make a protest even if it were not agreeable to members of parliament and there was no need to browbeat them by using force mr gladstone replied that he had very little knowledge of what had been going on outside the house but mr claude hay interrupted him with then you ought to have at that he hesitated and changed his tone saying that it was the police who were responsible for keeping open the approaches to the house that they had only done their duty and that he hoped they would continue to do it in the same way next morning all the world was talking of the melee and in the newspapers there were long accounts and startling headlines describing the scenes that had taken place these were very much more favourable to the women than any which had been published hitherto for though the press was still far from admitting the extreme urgency of the cause of women's suffrage or the need for the militant tactics as a means of obtaining the parliamentary vote still a large section of both press and public were unanimous in condemning the government for the violent measures which it had employed to suppress the woman's deputation many compared the sending out of mounted police against a procession of unarmed women to the employment of cossacks in russia and the liberal daily chronicle published a cartoon called the london cossack which showed a portly policeman riding off with a trophy of ladies hats at ten o'clock on thursday morning january fourteenth the fifty-seven women and the two men who had been arrested on the previous day appeared at the westminster police court the women were put in one of the side rooms and then a band of policemen filed in and each one identified his prisoner for most of the women this was a first visit to the police court and though many of them were severely bruised by the previous day's encounter they were all determined to make the best of the experience and to dwell as far as possible upon the humorous side of the situation whilst the suffragettes were ready to forgive the constables seemed mostly anxious to forget the violence and many of them asked their captives to give them the round white votes for women buttons which they were wearing as mementos of the woman's famous raid on the house of commons after waiting until the drunkards and pickpockets had been disposed of the suffragettes were taken into the court one or two at a time christabel pankhurst as organizer of the demonstration was at her own request the first to be placed in the dock 
she explained clearly that many of our members had suffered very seriously but that the w s p u wished to fix the blame for what had occurred not upon the police but upon the government that had dictated the use of these measures for clearing the women away if the government refused to take the only just simple and proper way out of the difficulty that of giving women their undoubted right to vote she said the responsibility must be theirs and if lives are lost in this campaign the liberal government will be directly responsible one thing is certain there can be no going back for us and more will happen if we do not get justice mr curtis bennett the magistrate here intervened saying with what he evidently thought was unanswerable firmness that the women undoubtedly were responsible for all the trouble that there were other means of obtaining votes and that these disorderly scenes in the streets must be stopped they can be stopped she retorted but only in one way he looked at her sternly and twenty shillings or fourteen days was his sole reply then she was hurried away and in an incredibly short space of time fifty-four suffragettes had been tried and sentenced to undergo punishment varying from ten shillings or seven days imprisonment to forty shillings or one month forty shillings or one month's imprisonment had also been imposed on a working-man mr edward croft who had been arrested for trying to defend one of the women in parliament square all those who had been convicted refused to pay their fines and decided to go to prison and whilst mr croft was removed to pentonville we suffragettes were taken away in the van to holloway jail on arriving at the prison we found that as was now the rule most of our number were to be treated as first-class misdemeanants though some few without any apparent reason were to be placed in the second division those of us who had been there some months before now found that several minor innovations had been introduced since our last visit to holloway when we had originally been put in the first class mrs cobden sanderson who was a vegetarian was daily served with the usual prison diet and though she was obliged to leave the meat no extra vegetables were allowed her and she was obliged to exist on her potatoes and bread now a special dietary had been introduced for vegetarians which consisted at this season of an alternation of carrots and onions with occasional rather stale eggs as a substitute for meat and milk night and morning instead of cocoa and tea butter was sometimes allowed by the doctor's special order now that so large a number of us occupied adjoining cells in one corridor and were sent out to exercise together apart from the other prisoners the authorities found it difficult to enforce the full rigour of the prison regime they found it difficult to prevent our speaking to each other occasionally when we stood together in line waiting to be marched to exercise or chapel they could scarcely stop the tapping out conversations on the cell walls which was carried on by neighbouring suffragettes sometimes when the wardresses were off duty one of our number would strike up a hymn or march to which words suitable to our movement had been adapted the others would join in chorus and when the officers came hurrying back it would be some moments before silence could be restored for one cause or another many of us were sent to the hospital some being placed in a ward with some twenty or thirty other prisoners others in separate hospital cells with the exception of mrs despard and myself all the suffragettes were released at the end of the first fortnight but our sentences did not expire until a week later a procession had been organized to welcome our comrades and a band had played for an hour outside the prison gates it is difficult to describe the effect upon ourselves which was created by the music we knew that it was being played by our friends we felt almost as though they were speaking to us and to hospital prisoners who are not even allowed to attend service in the chapel the very sound of the music in that dreary place was extraordinarily impressive 
it made one's pulses throb and filled one's eyes with tears the poor ordinary prisoners were filled with excitement and delight and when we were out at exercise with them on the day before our release woman after woman contrived to walk for a few moments either before or after one or other of us in the line and to ask us if we also would be met by a band how splendid for you said one of the girls to me wistfully i only wish i had friends to meet me but i am glad for you we are looking forward to the band but we shall be sorry to lose you another said whilst so many of us had been in prison a by-election had taken place in south aberdeen where mrs pankhurst at the head of the suffragettes forces had vigorously opposed the government candidate whose majority had fallen by more than four thousand votes the figures were g b esselmont liberal three thousand seven hundred seventy nine r mcneil conservative three thousand four hundred twelve f bramley socialist one thousand seven hundred forty at the general election the figures had been j bryce liberal six thousand seven hundred eighty w g black unionist two thousand three hundred thirty two the suffragists too had not been inactive for mrs henry fawcett and four of her colleagues had written to the prime minister asking that they might be allowed to plead the cause of woman's suffrage at the bar of the house they pointed out that in sixteen eighty eight anne the widow of edward fitz harris who was executed for treason in sixteen eighty one had been allowed to speak for herself and her children at the bar and that mrs clark mistress of the duke of york had been summoned thither to give evidence in regard to the charges of corruption against the duke nevertheless sir henry campbell bannerman refused to grant their request on the ground that there was no precedent for women to appear at the bar of the house in support of a petition meanwhile since the so-called raid on the house that had led to our imprisonment candid friends had been constantly telling us that we had entirely alienated the sympathy of those who had hitherto supported the enfranchisement of women yet even whilst the raid had been in progress a very much larger number of parliamentary representatives were agreeing to give their places in the private member's ballot to a woman's suffrage bill than had ever done so before when the result of the ballot became known it was found that for the first time in the history of the movement the fortunate member who had secured the coveted first place out of six hundred and seventy was willing to devote it to introducing a measure to give votes to women it was a liberal member mr dickinson who had won the first place and had decided to introduce the woman's enfranchisement bill the anti-suffragists at once began to work actively against the measure and the first woman's anti-suffrage society that had ever been formed was inaugurated to oppose it two petitions against the woman's enfranchisement bill one of them said to be signed by twenty-one thousand and the other by sixteen thousand five hundred persons were presented to parliament on march fifth and march twenty second they were heralded by the jubilations of our opponents but when the petitions came to be examined they were rejected by the petitions committee of parliament as informal this was because the separate sheets upon which the signatures had been written were not each headed by the prayer against the granting of woman's suffrage and there was consequently no evidence to prove that the signatories had known for what purpose their names were being collected afterwards mr j m robertson examined the anti-suffrage petitions and reported that whole batches of signatures had been written in by a single hand that the batch work began on the very first sheets and that it had appeared as though the petitions had been got up wholesale in this fashion mr j h wilson m p chairman of the parliamentary committee on public petitions afterwards stated in the house of commons that the names of whole families of persons had undoubtedly been written in by the same hand 
but even had these petitions been so evidently authentic as to have been accepted by parliament without question they would still have been quite insignificant as compared with the great petitions and memorials in support of votes for women which had been presented year after year since eighteen sixty six but the days in which women might have won or lost the parliamentary vote by petitioning had long gone by and all politically minded women knew this for a member of parliament to declare himself in open opposition to votes for women rendered him extremely unpopular many of the anti-suffragists especially of the liberal party now pretended that their reason for objecting to mr dickinson's bill was that they did not consider it to be a democratic measure they declared that it would disenfranchise married women would give the vote to women of wealth and property only and would exclude all those who had to work for their own living so emphatically was this statement made that it was difficult to convince many people that the measure in question was the old equal woman's enfranchisement bill and that there was no intention of introducing some new-fangled fancy franchise yet as a matter of fact mr dickinson's bill contained only a slight alteration in the wording though not in the sense of the last clause of the original measure instead of the phrase any law or usage to the contrary notwithstanding which occurred in the original bill and was intended to strike at the disability of coverture which affects married women the words a woman shall not be disqualified by reason of marriage from being so registered and voting notwithstanding any law or custom to the contrary were substituted on moving the second reading of the bill mr dickinson dealt especially with the objections of those who declared that the measure was anti-democratic he stated that in nineteen hundred four the women electors in his constituency of north st pancras had numbered one thousand fourteen of these women three per cent had belonged to the wealthy upper class thirty seven per cent to the middle class and sixty per cent to the working class many of the latter being exceedingly poor when asked by the secretary of the local women's suffrage society in his constituency of dunfermline whether he would support the second reading of the bill sir henry campbell bannerman had replied i will with much pleasure give my support to mr dickinson's bill when it comes before the house of commons now that the moment for fulfilling his promise had arrived however the prime minister threw cold water upon the measure i am not very warmly enamoured of it he said and after casting doubt upon the accuracy of mr dickinson's figures he added that in his opinion the bill would merely enfranchise a small minority of well-to-do women where the prime minister had led the rank-and-file anti-suffragist liberal members of parliament followed though they had neither facts nor figures of their own to quote in support of their contention and in face of both of mr dickinson's figures and mr snowdon's reminder that the i l p census of nineteen hundred four had shown that eighty-two per cent of the women on the municipal register belonged to the working classes they still continued to assert that only a handful of propertied women could obtain votes under this bill at the same time although they themselves belonged almost exclusively to the middle and upper classes they persistently stated their belief in the dangerous influence of the women who belonged to those same classes as the afternoon wore on attempts were made to move the closure of the debate in order that a vote on the bill might be taken but the speaker refused to accept the resolution and at five o'clock mr rees the liberal member for montgomery burghs talked the measure out after a five hours debate there was no protest from the ladies gallery this time as the suffragettes had all been rigorously excluded but both suffragettes and suffragists combined in urging the government to give another day for the discussion of the bill 
this they curtly refused and though the suffragettes had not agreed to accept the decision as final and intended to renew their demand until it was granted mr dickinson shortly afterwards withdrew his bill in order to make way for a woman's suffrage resolution a place for which had been obtained by sir charles mclaren no sooner had mr dickinson's bill been withdrawn and sir charles mclaren's resolution set down in its stead than it was blocked by discreditable move on the part of a well-known anti-suffragist mr afterwards sir morris levy taking advantage of a rule of the house of commons by which a resolution cannot be proceeded with if a bill dealing with a similar subject has been introduced this liberal member now brought forward a bill which he never intended to be discussed to give a vote to every adult man and woman therefore sir charles mclaren's resolution was thus entirely shelved this was not by any means the first time that the trick had been used in the case of a woman's suffrage motion but the device was acknowledged to be an unjustifiable abuse of the procedure rules mr levy refused even the speaker's request to withdraw his dummy bill protests were raised on all sides of the house because it was realized that if the practice of bringing in dummy bills to prevent discussion were to become common the right of private members to introduce resolutions would be entirely destroyed a resolution embodying this point of view was therefore agreed to and mr asquith promised that the government would take action in the matter note twenty though the question was raised again three months later however the promise was never kept and though the general feeling was that mr levy had offended against the recognized etiquette of parliament it must be remembered that as the standard put it if the government had chosen to exercise pressure mr levy would have proved complacent note twenty one but after all this was only a resolution and realizing that the government with practically all the time of parliament at its disposal could easily provide the few days necessary for carrying into law a woman's suffrage measure the women's social and political union were now preparing for further militant action on the day of the talking out of mr dickinson's bill a meeting had been held by the union in the exeter hall at which mrs pethick lawrence had called for subscriptions to inaugurate a twenty thousand pound campaign fund and over one thousand four hundred pounds had been sent up to the platform during the meeting on march twentieth nineteen hundred seven the second women's parliament assembled in the caxton hall note twenty two this parliament was specially characterized by the large number of delegates from the provinces amongst whom was a contingent of lancashire cotton operatives led by annie kenny and wearing their clogs and shawls as before the decision to carry a resolution to the prime minister was heralded with an enthusiasm that was almost fiercely overwhelming then when christabel pankhurst called out from the platform who will lead the deputation lady haberton for many years a suffragist of the old school eagerly answered ay and at once hundreds of women sprang up to follow her as soon as the deputation gained the street the police began to push and hustle them but though overwhelmingly outnumbered they bravely strove hour after hour to carry out their purpose rigid lines of police drawn up across the approaches to the house prevented their even getting near to it and though at one point a number of lancashire mill-hands drove up in a couple of wagonettes and being mistaken for sightseers succeeded in reaching the strangers entrance they were discovered and beaten back meanwhile caxton hall was kept open all the afternoon and on into the evening and the disabled women were constantly returning thither they brought with them the news that numbers of women had been arrested and that though lady harberton had at last got into the house of commons her petition had been ignored 
christabel pankhurst then advised any who might succeed in entering parliament to take sterner measures to rush if they could into the sacred chamber of the debate itself to seat themselves upon the government bench and demand a hearing if possible she cried seize the mace and you will be the cromwells of the twentieth century the women rushed back with renewed zeal it was now dark and as the crowds grew denser and denser and the police turned on them more angrily many members of the parliament including mr herbert gladstone and mr lloyd george came out to watch the scene some showed distress at the way in which the women were being treated but others regarded it as a joke many of the women were roughly handled and some were seriously hurt but speaking generally the violence used against them was not so great as on the previous february thirteenth it was said that no fewer than a thousand extra police were especially drafted into parliament square to guard the house of commons amongst those who had been arrested were dr mabel hardy miss nicey peters a norwegian painter and a friend of ibsen miss camino foliero a portrait painter from rome and miss constance clyde a well-known australian journalist and novelist next day when the women were brought up before mr horace smith at the westminster police court mr musket who appeared to prosecute on behalf of the police protested that the suffragettes had hitherto been treated with the utmost indulgence and begged that they should in future be dealt with as ordinary lawbreakers therefore the magistrate gave to most of the women exactly the same sentences varying from twenty shillings or fourteen days to forty shillings or one month's imprisonment that had been meted out to their comrades on the last occasion miss patricia woodlock and mrs ada chatterton the former having only left holloway on the expiration of her previous month's imprisonment one week before were as old offenders sentenced to one month's imprisonment without the option of a fine mrs mary lee though this was her first arrest also received a month's imprisonment because by hanging a votes for woman banner over the edge of the dock she annoyed the magistrate who said that he did not think it a decent thing to wave a flag in a court of justice thus as a result of two attempts within the short space of five weeks to carry resolutions to the prime minister from meetings of women held in the caxton hall one hundred and thirty women who were agitating for an eminently just and absolutely simple reform had been imprisoned even to the next generation this state of things will appear monstrous how much more so to those that are to follow in the dim future footnotes twenty when sir henry campbell bannerman introduced a resolution dealing with the veto of the house of lords three months afterwards lord robert cecil introduced a dummy bill for the abolition of the house of lords veto in order to prevent sir henry campbell bannerman's motion being discussed and thus to teach the anti-suffragists that their own blocking tactics could be used against themselves as lord robert cecil came forward with his bill sir henry campbell bannerman knowing what he was going to do begged him not to introduce it in order that the government's resolution might not be delayed if lord robert cecil would not agree the prime minister threatened to call a sitting of the house for the next saturday the day which had been fixed for the king's garden party in order to pass a special motion to allow the government's resolution to be proceeded with still lord robert cecil protested that the government must draw up the proposed standing order or he would insist upon introducing his bill and mr balfour supported him saying you can cook up a land bill in three days yet you cannot draft a standing order in three months in the end the government again promised to make such action as mr levy's impossible and lord robert cecil withdrew his bill but the promise has not yet been redeemed note twenty one so far from exercising pressure upon mr levy the liberal government shortly afterwards gave him a knighthood 
the failure to carry out their pledge which i have referred to in the previous note clearly shows that the government did not in any way disapprove of mr levy's action and were anxious that the possibility of its being repeated should remain note twenty two shortly after the second woman's parliament a proposal was raised that the westminster city council should prevent the hall being let to the woman's social and political union the chairman of the general purposes committee then stated that this course would be adopted if any damage were done to the hall itself up to the present no further attempt has been made to prevent the holding of the women's parliament in the hall End of chapter eight.